are into our third week of First Peter, and uh, if you would, why don't you turn there right now? First uh, Peter, we're going to be in chapter one again, and as you turn there, so will I. I sent a question out to um, and asked as I was asking people to pray for me this week because it's uh, my Sunday to preach. Um, I sent a question out to them and ask them to think about this. Um, What's more captivating to you, life's temporary pain or your kingdom privilege? And uh, when when they heard the word privilege, I got some responses like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense to me because the kingdom of God is a place of humility where we are humbly in submission to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's not a single thing we deserve from him And so to think in terms of me being a privileged individual in his kingdom, like that doesn't, that doesn't, I I can't make sense of that. It doesn't sit well. I want you to be thinking about that word privilege. And, uh, and I think, I think this is where the, the challenge has come from for those that I asked that question. What, what speaks more clearly to you? What's more captivating your, your temporary pain or your, um, your temporary pain or your kingdom privilege. So those of you who typically pray for me right now or throughout the course of the service, now would be the time to do that, okay? And I see kids going and grabbing things to draw in it, so I'm supposing the kids are in with us today. Anyhow, so here we go. What, what's more captivating to you? Um, what happens here on earth or the, or the reality and the truth of who you are when, because you are in relationship with Jesus Christ? But privilege, is a, it's become kind of a dirty word these days when you hear someone refer to privilege. And it takes me back to a conversation that Wendy and I had with Wendy's sister-in-law in Canada, Phyllis, and uh, we were talking about the things we have, the life we have here. And she looked straight at me and she said, Todd, you have what you have because you come from privilege. And I was like, okay. I think I know what you're trying to say here. But I suppose when I stop and take a moment, Phyllis is her name, I have to agree with you. I come from privilege. And I'm like, so Lord, what's that mean for me? I don't necessarily believe I am privileged based on what the, how the world would determine I am privileged. I believe I come from a life of privilege simply because God has determined, Psalm 139, All the days ordained for you, Todd, he says, were written in my book before one of them came to be. And so I must, as I consider the privilege I have while I'm here on earth, I have to understand this is God that has determined that I have what I have, that I live where I live, that I was raised by the parents I've been, I was raised by, that I had the grandparents I had, a, a, um, a legacy of faith that had been passed on from them from my grandparents, from before them to my grandparents, to my parents, to me, and now I, I feel a tremendous responsibility to continue that on. But my, but my privilege has nothing to do with what, how the world sees privilege. It has everything to do with God has determined that I would be where I am 
raised by who I was raised in the church I'm in and praise, I just praise God for that. I am humbled by that, that he would determine it. About 10 years ago, I was sitting with a group of Liberians in Liberia, a West African company, country that our church was heavily involved with then. And I remember sitting with, with a couple of ladies that were across the room, and I said to them, I said, look, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not making, I can, I'm not suggesting that this is what can happen. But one of the moms was holding an infant baby, and she said, so I said to her, I said, tell me, if it was possible for you, would you hand that child over to me to take to the United States of America to be raised? Tears rolling down her face. And she said, I absolutely would. And I said, why? Why would you choose that? That's a love I cannot understand. And she said, because of what my child would have access to as it relates to health care, as it relates to education, as it relates to biblical instruction, all things that were lacking in her world. And here's what she was declaring to me. As it relates to the way we see things, The United States of America is a wonderful place of privilege that I would be so willing, she was saying, to give up my child to be able to be raised in a country with such privilege. So let me just say this, folks. We live in an incredible place and we are so full of incredible privileges that the Lord has provided for us. May we never, ever take them for granted. But here's what else I know. Living in the place where we live is full of challenges, is full of pain, is full of suffering. But everything you are experiencing here, whatever the privilege is in the United States of America, whatever privilege or pain you are experiencing is only temporary. It's only temporary. Today we're going to look at what is eternal, an eternal privilege Yep, it's a great place to live here in the United States of America. It's great to be a part of Summit Church as we see it and know it here, but there is a day coming where we are going to experience the fullness of eternity in forever and ever physical relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In a month from now, and the temptation to preach Sam's sermon um, comes from our memory verses, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You and me, for those who have determined to bow the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, are a chosen race. You are God's race. You are determined. He has determined for you to be a part of who he is and what he has for all eternity. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a person. We are a people for his own possession. How privileged we are to belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and he brought us into his marvelous light. Once we were nobody, once we were not a people, 
Before relationship with Jesus, we were nobody. But now, because of Jesus and what he has done for us, we are his people. We are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now, but now we receive the fullness of the mercy that flows from the throne of God into us and the relationship we share with him. There is no greater privilege that we can ever experience. What is we experience here is temporary, but as we are in his kingdom, that lasts forever and ever. So I want to ask you a question. What is more captivating to you? Life's temporary pain. Life's temporary pain. How captivating is that to you? Or is the kingdom privilege you have from being in relationship with Jesus Christ more captivating to you even than the pain you are experiencing. Today we're going to learn from three simple verses. There's a guy who's helping me right now write pulpit curriculum. I'm training him up in to do that. And uh, Jasper's first, the first pa- message was on two verses. Last week was like nine verses, something like that. And the guy's like, man, I'm so thankful for nine verses to help me because he was like, how do I make enough material out of two verses? Well, here we are, just three verses. And, and I believe that an entire sermon series could be written on concerning this salvation. The first three words of verse 10. We are privileged because we are saved. We're going to learn that today. We're saved from so much. We are privileged today because we stand on this side of the cross, 2,000 years, able to look back and see and know the person of Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We're privileged to have our eyes opened, our ears opened, our hearts split wide to receive the truth of this message. That's a grand privilege. We are privileged to have the prophets of old plus generation after generation serving you and me with that message. We are privileged that God would determine to pass it from one generation to the next to you and me. And then there is no grander privilege than to respond in kind that we would declare the excellencies, that we would be found serving those that will come after us. That's what these three verses say today. And so with those things in mind, Question in mind, forefront of your mind, what is more captivating, life's temporary pain or your kingdom privilege? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So let's read it together. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Church, I want you to learn today with me that we are privileged because we simply, because we are saved. Concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. Concerning this salvation, saved from what? 
These are extremely simple truths that I'm going to share with you right now that come from concerning this salvation. But I believe, I believe sometimes we get, um, we get lost in church by hearing the word salvation, you have been saved. Yep, I know this, I know it to be true, that Jesus Christ saved me by going to the cross and suffering a horrific death and separation from God the Father, shedding his blood on your behalf and mine so that we could be saved forever and, in, and, and, and restored to right relationship with God the Father. Jesus took on our sin onto himself. He washes us clean with his blood and we are now established in forever relationship with him. Great. But I'd like, I'd like to challenge you to think in terms of what you have been saved from. All right? What you have been saved from. I want to start by saying this. You have been saved first and foremost from yourself. You have been saved from yourself. Listen to Romans chapter three. This is a passage we often refer to, we frequent because of the amazing truth it is that humbles us before our God. It says this, Romans chapter three, starting at verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That is speaking about an inward reality that describes you and me apart from the person of Jesus Christ. There is nothing good about us, no matter what the world would say. Mankind is not first and foremost good and then comes to a place where they make bad decisions. Mankind is bad, is not good, and cannot make a good choice apart from the leading of the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. That's an inward reality that we are saved from. You are saved from yourself. If I take a moment, once again, the Apostle Paul is like, hey, forget what lies behind. But those moments where I'm able to roll in and I see who I was as a young man, I, like, I'm like, God in heaven, why would you save me? Why would you save me from that? Here's what I know about me. I look back at the 40-year-old me and I'm like, I'm ashamed. I look back at the 30-year-old me and I become more and more ashamed. I look back at the 20-year-old me and that's where I'm like, God, why didn't you just turn me over to Satan in that moment? Because there was not, I, I could, I barely see a piece of goodness in me, but praise God, he came, he came and he took care of the inward reality, my lostness, my not goodness that needed him to adjust and make good. You know what? Some of you, I believe this. Okay. So inward reality fixed. I am saved from that. But here's what else I know. I like, I just had a conversation with my sons last night and one of them said, he turns 33 Tuesday. And he said, I went for a two-mile run, and the next day my knees hurt. And I'm like, well, if you keep running, your knees aren't going to hurt. He said, I know, but I'm not going to run for probably two more weeks, and then I'll try it again, and they'll hurt all over again. Like, that, that describes our body. You come to a place, you come to a place in life where you recognize, I can't do what I used to do without experiencing pain. 
And then you have to start wrestling over, can my body actually handle what I'm about to put it through? You take a step in the mirror and you can see, you can see, look, when you hit a certain age, gravity starts to declare itself in your life, right? God saves us from our inward, messed up, sinful nature, establishes us in forever relationship with him, but he also saves us from this nasty flesh. And one day, we are going to stand with him. He will give us our glorified body and he will have fully and completely forever saved us from this. But understand this, he saves you from even caring that gravity is winning. He says, I am your savior. I am your audience. It doesn't matter that your body is wasting away. What matters is what I think of you. We are saved from ourselves. Get this. We are also saved from others, right? Same conversation last night. Oldest son, he turns 35 tomorrow, is driving down the road. He has his cruise control set at a reasonable pace and a guy behind him doesn't like it. So he expresses what he thinks, not through word, but through gestures. The guy passes him, slows down in front of him. Mitch goes into the passing lane, doesn't change his cruise. He goes around him. The guy speeds up, passes him again, expresses what he thinks of him. We expect that from the world, right? We are not just saved from ourselves. We are saved from others who are outside the kingdom. It doesn't matter what they say. I love to hear that Mitch laughed it off. That guy's speaking foolishly or gesturing foolishly. We expect the world to treat us that way. And God, when he saves us through Jesus Christ on the cross, saves us from them. It doesn't matter what they have to say about us. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Blessed are you, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Things are getting a little more personal than just a gesture that you're not driving the way someone believes you should be driving. They utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of God himself. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets. And we're gonna look at Isaiah in a moment. For they, though they persecuted guys like, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we should expect then that that's the way they're going to treat us. And praise God for that because we are blessed, all right? He saves us from those outside that have awful things to say about us because of our relationship with Christ. I'd like to take one moment and speak to us as a fellowship of believers here. This is where it gets real personal, doesn't it? When people who proclaim the name of Christ have bad things to say about the way you are inside the body. That's where it becomes much more personal. And I want to challenge you to think in terms of this. If you stand before the Lord, if whatever word from your mouth proceeds with, with a, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done, as these words flow out of my mouth, I am trying with all my might to represent you by declaring the word of God very clearly. If someone 
within the body who declares Christ is in disagreement with you and comes after you with the kind of vitriol that we see here speaking all kinds of evil against you and falsely on his account, I want you to know God's grace is sufficient for you. They are not your audience. God himself is your audience. He saved you even from the pain you experience within the church. If you're new with Summit Church, the Lord is doing some amazing things in the life of our church these days. I don't, like as the elders, we sit around and we look, it's like we, we, don't, we don't see or hear that kind of stuff much anymore. But it still happens, and it even happened recently, as, as the church declares the word of God, not us saying it, the word of God, and someone outside says, not true and starts expressing their displeasure with the way we handle the word of God. Here's what I know. God has saved us even from that. It's our heart's desire to declare the excellencies and the glory of the Lord as we declare his word. We are saved from ourselves. We are saved from those who are outside the church. God even brings salvation from the pain that can be experienced inside the church. So much could be said about that. But it's our heart's prayer that Summit Church does not respond that way to each other. All right, so you're also saved from, ultimately, a place called hell. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, talks about things that are coming at the end. And so listen to this. This is a very, this is a very sobering expression, truth, about the place that, yes, God saves us from ourselves. God saves us from those who have bad things to say about us, but he saved us from this place. And another angel, a third, following them, said with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, again, once again, talking about some of the things that are happening inside the last seven years of life as we know it here on earth just before Jesus comes back to restore all things to its, their right will, rightful place. Those that are determined, I reject God completely, I worship the devil, I take a mark on my forehead that says I reject God and I, and I follow the devil. It's virtually everyone who does not worship Jesus Christ. They're declaring with, whether they have a mark on their forehead or not, this is the one I serve. So there's this place for them He will, this person that rejects God, drink, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So God's wrath and his anger, the eternal God, the all-powerful one, his wrath and his anger, and he will be tormented. The one that rejects him will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night, these that worship the enemy and serve the enemy. That's our ultimate salvation, that God would determine, I am making a way from you for you to escape that. And I know some people come to church and they're like, I don't want to hear about places like that. That's really hard. Like Todd, I come here to be encouraged. So make sure I'm encouraged on the way out. Okay, so I'll do that. If 
If you are in relationship with God himself and Jesus is your savior and you bow the knee to him, this is not a place for you. It is not a place for you. You are forever saved. And it should bring a smile to your face and a lightness to your heart knowing I'm not going there. Should also quicken our desire to share it with as many people as we can. Listen to this. So if you're like, hey, that's a really harsh place. It is. Forever and ever and ever, it is. So I want you to, let's do this for a moment. You're like, nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves that. Actually, we all deserve it. But I want you to take in this moment, in a snapshot, so let's say at 1057, for five seconds, you had the capacity to see the most wretched of sins that are happening across the planet with its 8 billion people. What images come to your mind? What images come to your mind? Now, no one could stand. It would bring us to some sort of physical revulsion if we were able to see that. Because I know where your mind goes. Now imagine this. Since Adam and Eve fell to 1056, to 1057, God himself the holy and pure and righteous one is exposed to this every moment of every day from Adam and Eve to you and me. No one is righteous, no, not one. Now imagine a place of eternal torment for those types of people. You know this, sin only gets worse. Sin is never satisfied. So you have these people, this this place full of people that rejected God constantly increasing in their sin for all of eternity. And God saved us from it. What an amazing truth. What an amazing reality. God saved us from it. Do you know the person of Jesus Christ? If you do, He saves you from all of this, from yourself, from what others have to say about you, and from forever separation from him in a place called hell. You are privileged because he saved you and gave you a place in his kingdom. Here's another one. You are privileged because you get to see and know the Savior. You get to see and know the Savior. I get to see and know who Jesus is. We're standing on this side of the cross looking back 2,000 years. We can see and know who Jesus is and what he did for us and when he did it. Look at verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about what? The grace that was to be yours, that was to be yours and mine. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of God in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. If you bounce down to the bottom of verse 12, these are the things that angels have longed to look into. You and I get the privilege of seeing something that the prophets of old never got to see, but longed so much so that they searched and inquired with great diligence and care because they wanted to see and know who this one is that's going to come and save us. 
So now imagine you're Isaiah, all right? Imagine you're the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter six, the, king year, uh, the year King Uzziah died, I saw, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. So he was given an opportunity to see into the throne room of God himself. He was sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now imagine, imagine we right now, even filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus himself giving us, imputing to us his righteousness so that we can stand before the Holy God. Now imagine Isaiah, he sees God in his fullness and holiness. He drops to his face, completely undone, and he says, woe is me for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was called to speak to a a nation that rejected God, his people Israel. The very ones that that God determined, you are my people, they said, we don't want you to be our God. And Isaiah is sent to prophesy to them. God gave him the grand privilege of seeing God himself in his holiness and his purity. I wonder, if, I wonder if Isaiah felt like a little tiny black speck of pepper laying on the floor that would just be so easily blown away by a passing foot. How would you have felt if you were Isaiah and you got to see this? You would have been completely undone just like he was. He says, woe is me, I am a nasty man. Woe is me, I live among a people that is nasty and debaucherous and about themselves and don't love you, God. It's a great problem. God's holiness presented to him. And then Isaiah, some 20 chapters later, and many, many other places throughout Isaiah, God starts to reveal to him, hey, I'm bringing an answer. I know you know you need to be saved from yourself and your people. An answer is coming. Listen, Isaiah 26 says, he sets up salvation as Isaiah 26, verses 1 to 4. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He sets up salvation. God tells Isaiah, salvation is coming and I'm gonna set it up as a place of complete and utter safety. You won't have to worry about anything, including yourself and the way people treat you. There's no more condemnation for you because I'm going to establish salvation. Your question is gonna be, when? Who? When and who is this going to happen? Or how is this going to happen? Isaiah 33, some nine chapters later, or nine chapters later or so, He says, God says this to Isaiah of the coming Jesus. He will be the stability of your times and abundance of salvation. An abundance of salvation. 
He will be wisdom and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord will be Zion's treasure. So Isaiah's like, I see God, I recognize I am a wretch, I belong to wretched people, and you're coming with salvation. When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? And then in Isaiah 53, God says this to Isaiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What, if you're Isaiah, you know you are separated from God himself. And then God declares to you, here comes salvation. Here comes salvation. And this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to look like. What are you going to do? I guarantee you this. If you were Isaiah and that was your experience, you would, your nose would be in everything, crying out to God, asking questions. When is this going to happen and who is it going to be? When and who? When and who? That like, I bet he lived the rest of his life so full of excitement, wondering, is it next? Is it next week? Is it next month? Is he coming next year? Well, the mystery remained for 700 years. Isaiah never saw it. The other prophets never saw it. 700 years before Christ came. And here you and I are. We get to see and know. It is, it was, and it is, and it always will be the person of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is for us to see and know what tremendous peace it is that we should have because of that simple truth. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly, truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. How does this provoke you, church? Man, we should be going after Jesus to know him like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I am sure that's how Isaiah responded. Jesus, or, or God, when is, when is the Savior coming? How are you going to do this? You are privileged because you get to see and you get to know. Listen to this. You're also privileged because you have been served by, I'm just gonna call them the giants of faith. Look at the passage, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, they prophesied about, look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from God, things into which angels long to look. What would have happened if Isaiah would have said, done, I am done recording for God, not going to say another word about him. He's not coming. Done. What would have happened if from one generation to the next, let's take your spiritual family lineage all the way back to Isaiah. Let's say at one point someone determined, I am done. I'm not going to serve those who are coming after me anymore. 
where would you be left? And I know you're like, well, if God determined that I'm in relationship with him, he would fill in the blanks for me. And you're right, he would. But how wonderful it is that God would determine even the prophets of old were established for you and me and for the sake of our salvation. That he would save us from ourselves, that he would save us from what others have to say about us, and that he would even save us from hell itself. How amazing it is that we have been served by those who came before us. Who are the spiritual giants in your life? What would happen if one of them was removed? Add the prophets to your list. How amazing it is that we have been served by some wonderful and great people of the faith. Let me ask you a question. What keeps you from serving? What keeps you from sharing? What darkens your eagerness to know and to share? Like Isaiah. What is it that darkens your eagerness to serve and to suffer for his sake? Why in the world would we ever let temporary pain overshadow our eternal and forever kingdom privilege? We are saved from ourselves. Doesn't matter what others have to say. Hell is no longer a threat to you and me because we are in relationship with Jesus. A grand challenge for you and me is to not be paralyzed by our pain and our misunderstanding. We should look at these, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as light and momentary afflictions. They are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What's more captivating to you, your temporary pain or your kingdom privilege? What would happen? Oh, I already asked that question, but let, let me, let's close with this. What would happen? If someone in your past determined, I'm not going to share anymore. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm going to share this as carefully as I can because it's quite gruesome. In the first century, there was a pastor and a churchman named Romanus. He was in the city of Antioch. So Jasper and I were talking about this. I don't know when in the first century, but I guarantee you Romanus was probably thinking about the writings of Peter and Paul. Light and momentary affliction. Look, your joy should outweigh, your joy in Christ should outweigh any pain that this world would have for you. So Romanus, he was in the city of Antioch. He went there to encourage a group of believers, and it was at the height of the Roman persecution against Christians. The Christians, there was a group of Christians that had just been arrested by the Roman army. And so word was brought um, to the captains of the Roman guard that there was a band of armed soldiers that could not wrestle the faith of those Christians away from them, no matter what threats they made or physical harm. They refused, they refused to forsake Christ, even in the face of terrible persecution. And so one of the captains ordered that Romanus would be brought before him because he knew that he was the leader of this group. When questioned, Romanus answered, even though your sentence Whatever it is, no matter how awful it is, whatever cruel means of torture you may invest, bring it on. I don't refuse it because I will not bow the knee to you. I only bow to the Lord. So they hoisted him up to empty out his bowels. And then someone else said, hey, you can't do that to him. He is born of nobility, earthly nobility. He is born of nobility. You can't do that to him. He doesn't deserve such an ignoble death, is what one said. So, 
They hoisted him up. They scourged him with whips that had pieces of lead tied at the ends. And as he was being whipped, instead of tears and sighs and groans, Romanus sung songs all the time of his whipping, requiring them not to favor, do not favor me because of my earthly nobility. Don't favor me because of this temporary, whatever you want it to be in your eyes, this temporary pleasure of being noble. He said, don't favor me because of my nobility. Don't favor me because of my bloodline. But my Christian profession, that is what makes me noble. Kingdom privilege. Bring it on. Whatever you have for me, empty my bowels. I am not bowing a knee. What if Romanus, it's his line that brought you the truth of your salvation? The the account goes on. I encourage you to get the book. Wholesome words continued to come out of his mouth, but they were oil and fire to the captain in his fury. He kept preaching the gospel of Jesus, calling them to repentance. And the captain instructed the tormentors to strike Romanus on the mouth, that his teeth be stricken out, so that his pronunciation would at least wise be impaired, but he couldn't shut him up. The commandment was obeyed. His face was buffeted. His eyelids were torn by their nails. His cheeks cut with knives. The skin of his beard was plucked little by little from the flesh. And finally, seemingly, his whole face was completely defaced. And this is what he said. I thank you, O captain, that you have opened unto me and to those who are watching many mouths where I, whereby I may preach my Lord and Savior Christ. Look how many wounds I have. So many mouths I have declaring the praises of my God. And it was at that pronunciation that they stopped torturing him. What if Romanus is in your spiritual spiritual lineage and he would have bowed out to that? Praise God, he kept going. Praise God, he kept declaring the word about the salvation that you and I share. He knew his kingdom privilege and he wanted you to know it and he wanted me to know it. He wanted everyone that was listening to know Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what they do to me. Kingdom privilege outweighed temporary pain. Kingdom privilege outweighed temporary pain. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how to close that one. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have saved us even from ourselves. Lord, if there's one here that's plagued by by thoughts of themselves that um, that are harmful to them, I'm asking now, Lord, that you would insert yourself and that you would reveal to them your greatness, that you have saved them even from whatever is in their mind. Lord, if someone right now is plagued by the words of, of, of someone outside, even inside the church, Lord, Lord, I'm asking right now that you would step between them and the fiery darts and you take them on and protect them. Thank you so much, God, for the message 
and the truth of salvation that we can forever be in your kingdom at your side forever and ever and ever instead of burning in a place like hell. Lord, if there's one here that needs to know you, provoke their heart to come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.